0: You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner-Roberts. Our current serial is Curse of Bronze. Chapter 2. Who Curses the Curse Breakers? Miss Charlotte Hathaway, infamous curse-breaker and archaeologist of great renown, lay motionless on the floor of the red reading room, in the Eldritch Library of Lyceum. Under other circumstances, Bella would have been delighted to visit the Eldritch Library. It featured on her own personal list of 27 libraries to join before you die, which she composed at 12 years of age in bright violet ink. "'You see what we mean,' said Sergeant Stamp, who had been nice enough to bring Bella here, "'without uttering any words of suspicion, "'possibly because she looked rather on the verge of tears. "'Not a Commonwealth Garden crime scene.' "'Yes,' said Bella, "'disappointment sinking into her bones. "'But I'm afraid I can't share your optimism "'on my aunt's condition, Sergeant. "'She is quite certainly dead.' "'Oh,' said Sergeant Stamp, "'looking somewhat crestfallen. "'I thought it was one of them proper curses "'like you see about in the penny papers. "'All she needs is true love's kiss, "'tears of a virgin or some clever muck like that, "'and she'll be right as rain.' "'No,' said Bella. "'I don't believe that's the case, "'but thank you so much for letting me see for myself.' "'The police had used long ribbons of gold tape, to mark off the area in the middle of the red reading room. They had already sent all witnesses home, or at least banished them from the general area. Aunt Charlotte lay frozen on the polished wood floor, her face twisted into an expression that Bella could only hope was surprise rather than pain. She was quite, quite dead. She was also coated entirely in bronze. Or, Bella realised on close observation, she had likely been transformed into an entire statue of bronze. No wonder the policemen, surrounded by everyday wonders and magic, thought it might be possible to reverse the spell. Midas curses, the transformation of people into metal, were famously misunderstood. Despite a few famous operas that claimed otherwise, There were barely a handful of victims who survived such an ordeal, and only if transformed back to flesh within the first hour. Perhaps with a world-renowned curse-breaker like Charlotte Hathaway on the case, a life might have been saved. But she was one in a million, and she was dead. If there was any hope at all of Charlotte's life returning, the key to the house would never have passed to Bella. More to the point, Charlotte Hathaway was hours dead in a room with a wide polished wooden floor and no objects in sight, cursed or otherwise. Bella crouched over the metal statue that had once been her aunt. Charlotte's collar was askew, which was always her way. Every item of clothing constantly looked like it had been thrown on in a hurry. Impossible to straighten it now. It would be askew forever. A single tear slid from Bella's face and splashed onto Charlotte's sturdy bosom. No, not yet. She must pull herself together. "'Was anything taken from the scene?' she asked. "'Was she holding anything or doing anything unusual at the time?' "'Not according to the fourteen witnesses,' reported Sergeant Stamp. "'Miss Hathaway here was in conversation with a person unknown.' "'Nothing in her hands. She didn't touch the other person, neither. "'She just went down like a ton of bricks, "'and not one of the witnesses could remember anything "'about what the other person looked like. "'Not their face, their hair colour, "'not if they were man, woman, in between, nothing.' "'Not a curse-breaking accident, then,' said Bella. "'I think you have a murder on your hands.' "'Crikey!' said Sergeant Stamp. "'Constable ready? Get me my special notebook. Don't see one of these every day. It was late when Bella returned to the house on Gramercy Street. Night had fallen over Lyceum, which meant crowds of pretty vampires filling the streets. The street lamps were made of coloured glass. Her path was illuminated by glowing threads of ruby, sapphire, emerald and amber, all the way home. Bella had refused the helpful escort offered by the policeman, refusing to find her own way. She was a local now. If she did not begin with courage and audacity, it would be too easy to hide away in this new life, just as she had in her old. Besides, she had a great deal of thinking to do. Walking the streets of the city was as good a way to do that as any, wasn't like she would be alone once she reached the house. Aunt Charlotte had been murdered, and no one had seen the person responsible. Well, no, that was not quite accurate. Fourteen people must have seen the person responsible, but every single one of them had no clear memory of the details. Bella was so busy mulling this over, she quite forgot that her new house was full of animated furniture, until she let herself back into the hallway of cursed items and startled two canoodling hat racks when she switched on the electric. Have you seen my suitcase? she asked, as she could not think of anything else to say. Upstairs, Chuck, called out Maggie, the armchair. Second room on the left, you'll know it when you see it. Oh, if the bed talked to her as well, Bella was going to lose her mind. Thankfully, the bedroom intended for Bella was quiet, without a single stick of furniture that had anything to say to her. Either they were all extremely discreet, or the more talkative furnishings had migrated downstairs. Too exhausted to remove more than her hat, she flopped down on the bed, thinking loud and troubled thoughts. There was no way she could possibly fall asleep not with so much jumbled up in her head bella woke to daylight and someone knocking on her front door loud enough to shake the house which was now she thought about it quite a dangerous thing to do in this particular domicile out of sorts still wearing the crumpled day clothes she had slept in and hating to think what amira might have to say about her hair bella went to the window rather than immediately downstairs. Overlooking the street, she could just see a fluster of bustles clustered around her front steps. Many visitors then, and not the police. Lots of visitors, Mrs Teapot, she called out as she made it to the foot of her own staircase, and heard a corresponding shuffle of furniture from the parlour. Bella was almost prepared for what she saw on her front step, which was four ladies of generous middle age in flouncy outfits, many of them armed with the stabbiest of parasols. None of them actually wore bustles, that particular fashion having given up the ghost forty years ago, but one might be forgiven for thinking they were, given the sheer quantity of ruffles, lace, and conspicuous folds of fabric about their generous persons crammed together on the front step the ladies' four enormous hats blended together also like a botanical festival come to life it's the niece shrieked one haven't you grown which niece is it not the duchess no dear the war reporter aren't they the same one it's the youngest it's Bella darling Bella we've seen your photographs Charlotte was so fond of you all so fond. Bella was swept backwards by a sea of older ladies, all moving in a clump and effectively herding her back into the parlour, in the direction of the teapot. Here they were all far more comfortable than she. Furniture darted back and forth to accommodate the ladies, who relished the attentions of talking teapot, clingy antimacassars and shy side-tables, "'as if they had lived here all their lives. "'My dear,' said one, "'a stylish lady in tweed with bright blue hair "'and several lumps of sugar in her tea already, "'thanks to an over-enthusiastic sugar bowl. "'How are you holding up?' "'Such a responsibility,' broke in another, "'a sharp-eyed lady all in lilac and lace "'with two matching handbags. "'You must be feeling the strain.' "'And poor dear Charlotte!' cried a third. After that, it was mostly chaos and biscuits for half-hour or so, until they all settled down long enough to introduce themselves. They were Elsie, Plum, Partridge and Mrs McGillicuddy. Bella had heard of Aunt Charlotte's dear friends, but Faith and Charity always referred to them as the hags, a group name she could not allow herself to even think too loudly in their presence. We all knew she'd come to a bad end, said Plum, or possibly Partridge. All those wild adventures of hers, and she'd been rather erratic of late, agreed Partridge or Elsie. All of that huffing and blowing about the widow in waiting and magic glossaries, and that professor with all the gargoyles said mrs mcgillicuddy in a dark tone she was the easiest of the four to keep separate in bella's head because she was the tiniest of the ladies with the largest hat don't forget about the gargoyles can't believe she punched that tunbridge woman added elsie or plum i mean in the street fixated that's what she was "'said Plum, or Partridge. "'What she needed was a good adventure. "'Can you believe she hadn't left the city in five years?' "'I didn't realise it had been so long,' Bella said, "'in a brief gap between her guests' exclamations. "'Aunt Charlotte was always flying this way and that, "'hopping on trains or steamers. "'She usually visited the cottage before leaving "'or just after arriving back with all her stories.' And the postcards, of course. She was always popping random thoughts into postcards and telegrams to keep in touch. And those hadn't slowed over the years. It couldn't have been five years since Bella saw Aunt Charlotte, was it? She hadn't made it to Bella's graduation, of course, or Charity's wedding. But they all assumed she was off on one of her trips. Bella had gone straight into full-time translation work after claiming her degree And what with faith and charity always running this way and that, she hadn't quite realised that their equally adventurous aunt was staying put. She should have visited the city before now, Bella realised, awash with guilt. Somehow she'd convinced herself that keeping home for her absent sisters was a duty, her role in the family and an excuse to avoid adventures. She could have caught the train up to Aunt Charlotte's doorstep every month to spend a weekend with her, if she was a little braver. Maybe then she would not have quite so many questions now. My dear, you look quite distressed, announced Mrs. McGillicuddy, whisking an empty cup away from Bella and depositing an enormous slice of cake in front of her. Have you met the lodger? Lodger? Bella repeated, "'suddenly worried there might be another person unaccounted for in this house. "'Oh, do you mean the gentleman next door?' Gentleman! cried one of the hags, and they all giggled like schoolgirls. "'Majestic, isn't he?' "'Of course,' added another. "'Hardly, seemly, that hole in the wall. "'Bad enough for Charlotte, but for a young lady like yourself. "'Unmarried? Not appropriate!' criminal record i hear hideous to look at i don't know why she never fixed that hole i have an idea why mrs mcgillicuddy it turned out had an extremely dirty laugh i'm sure he's not so hideous all the way down oh mrs mcgillicuddy you are naughty bella gave up on being part of the conversation and let it wash over her as she ate her cake Eventually the hags took their leave, sweeping out of the house with the same levels of enthusiasm and entitlement as when they arrived. As Bella saw them to the door, she found her hand captured and squeezed by the very tiny Mrs McGillicuddy. "'Take care of yourself, my dear,' she said, looking sad. "'Terrible news. They're all gone now, of course, your dear mother.' And Colin. Oh dear Colin exclaimed Plum or Partridge, turning back to take Mrs. McGillicuddy's arm. Such a tragedy. We were all half in love with him, of course. That horrible business must have been before you were born. Curse breakers and daredevils, sighed Partridge or Elsie. All the Hathaways as bad as each other and always bound to come to a bad end. Bella blinked and smiled and bid them all farewell, trying her hardest not to think about how her own sisters were Hathaway's to the core, risking their lives abroad in the name of adventure, the daredevil duchess and the war reporter. Meanwhile, she was stuck here, talking to the furniture and missing them terribly. Perhaps that was why the house had chosen her. She was the member of her family most likely to stay alive. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruwita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Instagram, Blue Sky or Threads at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.